Welcome to Beaver Lodge Alliance's sermon podcast. We're so glad to join you. This is the latest sermon. We pray that you would receive encouragement, exhortation, and that Jesus would speak to you through this sermon. Enjoy. Well, today's a good day. (laughs) It's a good day. It's warm though, hey? My goodness, how fantastic is that? My wife is super excited. She's not with us today, so a few of our people are out at the uh, Beliski Rodeo for the Peace Country Wilderness Camps, uh, and our people, so Erilyn Penner, Dave Deeth, and Farrell are all leading worship out there. Our man, Ian Penner, is preaching out there. Uh, so it's, it's basically Beaver Lodge Alliance Church off-site is happening out there, so it's really, really fun. Uh, so uh, we need to remember them as they're doing that, and I'm sure they're remembering us as well. Well, um, there was a, a ride, so an amusement park ride when I was a kid um, that was called, it, it comes by many different names, but it was basically a giant boat. It's at West Edmonton Mall as well at Galaxyland called the, the Flying Galleon. It's this giant boat that just goes back and forth back and forth, back and forth. And it's just this amazing ride that kind of actually, when I was a kid, I sort of liked it, but now just thinking about it gets me a little bit sick. My stomach starts to twirl a little bit. Just thinking of that boat going back and forth, back. How how are you guys doing? Are you guys doing okay? Is anybody here getting a little ill? Okay, just hold on. Take a breath. (sighs) All right. It's a pendulum ride. You get that idea. Like like an old grandfather clock, it's a pendulum ride that just goes back and forth. We won't do that again. (laughs) But it's a pendulum ride. They're they're fun when we're young, but there's something that changes in our inner ears as we get older that we can't handle that kind of motion as much, and it actually gets us incredibly motion sick. If I ever sit even in the back row of a vehicle, I have to keep my eyes looking out the front window or else I get motion sick still today. Like it's just, motion sickness is a a big deal. It's interesting though, because we live in a culture that has a love-hate relationship with the pendulum swing. We go to extremes. We, we like driving in the ditches instead of the middle of the road. We, 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 for some of us, for some of us, the word balance is a dirty word. We like to live out of balance, out of the middle. We love to live sometimes on the extreme edges. But we all kind of understand intrinsically that going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, that that kind of motion happening all the time, when we keep pendulum swinging it, it leaves us kind of sick, and, and really, in the end, it doesn't get us any further ahead than we were before. We actually end up kind of at the same exact spot. So, as a culture, when we're doing this big pendulum swing, well, what are we to do? What are, like, like, this is probably not a good idea to just make everybody sick and, and, and everybody hurting and just kind of never end, getting anywhere. So, as a culture, what are we to do when the pendulum keeps swinging back and forth and back and forth. How do, I, how do we keep ourselves out or at least somehow lower the difficulty of these extremes? Well, there's a secret. 
There's a secret that people will tell you that, that ship captains will tell you when you're on the ocean and the waves are coming back and forth. There's a secret that, that people will tell you when you're in a car ride. There's a secret to combating motion sickness. And the secret is this. You need to pick a fixed point on the horizon and set your eyes on it. If you find a fixed point out there somewhere on the horizon, you can combat the motion sickness that happens when you go from one extreme to another, and that's what we're going to do today. But first, we're addressing a shift today. We're in our series about shifts, about things going from one side to the other, and today we are, we are addressing a very specific shift. Let's watch the video and find out what that is. We are witnessing the rise of microchurch networks. Formed around a minimal ecclesiology of worship, community, and mission, microchurches are typically small, lay-led, spiritual families with a high focus on discipleship and multiplication. They are also typically networked with other microchurches, collectively committed to gospel saturation in a given neighborhood or city. Simplistic, highly accessible, and intentionally reproducible by ordinary women and men, these multiplicative networks of microchurches are some of the most fruitful and fastest-growing disciple-making environments in the West. Today, many are drawn to the micro-environments that offer high levels of authenticity, personal participation, and missional impetus. Other factors pushing or pulling people away from the large church and towards microchurch include decentralization, a growing lack of trust in institutions, and the rise of a personalized economy. In light of the increase of global tribalism and diversification, microchurch also offers new opportunities to incarnate the gospel into natural relational networks, both affinity and geography-based. Such contextualized microchurches are ripe with opportunities to reach new people in places historically outside of the reach of the traditional model church. However, this also poses an inherent challenge to the microchurch. As affinity-based microchurches grow in homogeneity, they may simultaneously limit their ability to reach a particular diverse geography. Likewise, as microchurches focus on incarnating the gospel into a specific geographical locale, their ability to reach niche groups of society may become limited in scope and focus. At the same time, such apparent constraints must lead to new expressions that will plant the gospel in new relational networks. This mix of affinity and geography-based microchurches is integral to the gospel saturation of cities. Might this rise of microchurches and microchurch networks be a significant missiological moment in North America toward a truly multiplicative disciple-making movement like we've witnessed in the Global South? So the, the shift that we're addressing today is the shift away from traditional model churches to micro-disciple-making environments. Now, a traditional church is what we have here. So this is what would be considered a traditional church. But what is a micro-disciple-making environment? Well, overly simplified, 
A micro-disciple-making environment is usually a small team of lay people, which means that typically there's no paid clergy amongst them. This group gather together for simple worship, community, and mission. They're highly focused around multiplication, reaching out usually to reveal the way of Jesus to a targeted neighborhood or community. They're decentralized, which means they often have very little oversight or overhead. They can meet in homes, libraries, bars, or, or anywhere else that gives them space to gather. They emphasize that all believers are equipped, empowered, and called to fulfill the Great Commission, which is to make disciples who make disciples. These small and versatile groups are the normal way of church in most places around the world, particularly in places where the, the proclamation of the gospel is, is under persecution. Think about the house churches that we hear about in China, or many of the ways that the church gathers together throughout the Middle East. Places where if they had a big church building like this, it would be shut down in moments. So these are the places where these small groups of believers are, are almost forced into these micro groups. They highly depend on each other. There's a, a simplicity to the, the gospel and they flourish. These micro groups have great impact, especially amongst their, their peers so oftentimes, these microgroups reach out to, uh, to their friends and neighbors and, and family and, and co-workers and those type of people, and every single member within these microgroups see themselves as fully on mission, fully empowered, capable, equipped, and released to make disciples who make disciples. Now, none of this is bad. Not one thing of this is bad. This is amazing. In some of the places in the world where this is flourishing, it's, it's fantastic. And it's flourishing in North America as well. This is what's happening. There is this ramp up to these small groups of believers gathering together in neighborhoods and reaching their neighborhood for Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. Micro-disciple making environments are happening all around the world, and they're making a giant impact for the kingdom of God. Now, we're going to spend some time in the book of Acts today. So if you've got your Bibles or you've got your phones, you can turn to the very beginning of Acts. We're going to look in Acts chapter 1 and 2 uh, today. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to take a look at the early church, and we're going to see how they gather together. Because this idea of this micro-disciple-making environment, it's not a new, new idea. It's not fresh to 2023. This is something that's been happening for thousands of years already. Now, you'll notice if you've been here for the last couple of weeks that we've spent some time already in Acts chapter 1 and 2, and it's possible that we're going to spend a lot of time in Acts chapter 1 and 2 next week also. Now, the reason for this is because Acts chapter 1 and 2, especially these two chapters, gives us the blueprint for what the church is supposed to look like, and not just the early church, not just the micro-disciple-making church, not just the traditional church, but all church. The reason we're looking at these chapters is because sometimes when we come to these shifting spaces in our history, when we look at micro-disciple-making environments today, or we shift to traditional model churches, we seem to get into this phase of saying, well, it has to be one or the other. There seems to be a big leap. So for years, we do this traditional model thing, and then at some point, people get disgruntled, and we leap all the way over here to this other side to what we call this micro-disciple-making environment. And, and part of what we do when we do this leap is we don't just say, hey, this is a good way of doing things. We say, that way is bad. 
that way is bad, and this way is the way that we should be doing it. And so we do this leaping pendulum swing thing, and we begin to not define ourselves by what we're, what we're taking advantage of. We define ourselves by how we're not like them anymore. And this kind of pendulum swing is actually detrimental to the kingdom of God. And so we're going to address this today, this giant pendulum swing, and not say bad things about either movement because both movements are needed. And you're going to see that as we get to the end of our sermon this morning. The problem that we have with this swing is it pits people against people. It pits, usually, in this case in particular, it pits the younger generation against the older generation. Remember when I was talking about the flying galleon and how usually the younger generation enjoys that kind of a ride, but as we get older, our ears, our inner ears can't handle that kind of motion, and so as we get older, we don't like that ride anymore. Well, the younger generation loves this micro-disciple-making environment. They love this. They, they flock over this. They go, this is the way church is supposed to be, leaving behind generally an older generation in the traditional model church that's going, why? is everybody running away? And we get confused over this, and it's just this battle that needs not to happen. I think what we're going to find today is that both ways of being the church is actually needed for the building of the kingdom. So let me show you some things here. The reason why there is this angst between the traditional model church and micro-disciple-making environments is that in the traditional model church, for the most part, we've kind of faltered in, this, in, in one of our main purposes. If you were here two weeks ago, you'll know what our main purpose is because we talked about this. Our main purpose as the church is actually to make disciples who make disciples. And the traditional model church as of late has had great difficulty with this. We've had difficulty making disciples who make disciples. And in case you missed it from two weeks ago, one of the last things that Jesus said to his people is found in Matthew chapter 28. It's, we call it the Great Commission, but it is the mission that Jesus gives all of his followers. And here's what Jesus says. He says, therefore go, and he's speaking to every person who believes in his name. So he speaks to the people that were listening to him at that time, and he's speaking to all of us here as well. He says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. This clear mission given straight from Jesus to all disciples is to, to fulfill the command or this, this mission to make disciples. And then those disciples who now become disciples of Jesus are called to do the same thing, to make disciples. So there is this constant thing that's supposed to keep happening. Disciples making disciples, making disciples, making disciples. And the difficulty we have today is that the, the traditional model church has not done this really well. The thing about this, though, is that when Jesus gave us this mission, he never prescribed the type of building that we were meant to meet in. In fact, the beauty of this mission is that it can be accomplished in many different buildings, in cathedrals, in monasteries, big sanctuaries, small temples and homes, offices, community centers, baseball fields, soccer pitches, in schools and libraries, even in the streets, on the highways and the byways, restaurants, barber shops, and bars. It can happen in all of these places. In fact, the mission of Jesus can be done with hundreds of people. It can be done with thousands of people. It can be done with ones and twos. 
It, it can be, the mission of Jesus can be accomplished with family, with friends, with neighbors, with coworkers, with, with strangers, with people that you walk past on the street. The mission of Jesus can be done under a UCP government, under an NDP government, even under a communist government. In fact, some of the most flourishing churches in the world are under communist governments and Muslim governments where they are not allowed to proclaim the name of Jesus. This mission can be accomplished by rabbis, pastors, theologians, teachers, police officers, nurses, carpenters, gas jockeys, and wrench pullers. Moms, dads, men, women, and even children can accomplish the mission of Jesus. Some of my most exciting stories come from seven, eight, nine-year-olds who are just telling their friends about how amazing Jesus is. This mission can be accomplished in times of freedom, in times of persecution, in times of COVID restrictions. This is the mission in all places, at all times, and by all people for all people. This is the mission of Jesus. And so all the churches, every single church, whether it's a a traditional model church or a micro-disciple-making environment, every church is meant to be a disciple-making place. It's supposed to be our main thing. Our, Our main thing is to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. But we haven't done this really well. So we have this pendulum swing away from the traditional model church to micro-disciple-making environments. And it feels like this amazing ride to the younger people, but frankly, it feels a little difficult for those who are a little older. The pendulum swing, I think, is damaging to our overall mission. So, so what do we do? What do we do when we see this difficult transition happening or this pendulum swing? Is it actually a transition? Are we moving away from one model to another? And I would say that we are not moving away from one model to another. We're actually going to be hopefully in a place where both models work well together. To combat the pendulum motion sickness and even to correct some of our over-exuberance at kicking out the traditional model, we need to pick a fixed point on the horizon and keep our focus on it. The good news is that the fixed point is the same fixed point for both the traditional model church and the micro-disciple-making environment. The fixed point for every church and every believer and every disciple is always Jesus. Every church needs to stay focused on Jesus. So let's take a look at Jesus. A little teaching moment here. There are four Gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and three of them have missional statements from Jesus. The mission from Jesus that we read in in the Gospel of Matthew is Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. That's Jesus' missional statement to his people. So that's in Matthew chapter 28. It's very similarly worded in Mark chapter 16. So Matthew 28 and Mark 16 are very similar in in the way that Jesus words his mission there. The Gospel of John has quite a different-looking mission. Um, it's found in, Ma- in John chapter 20. We're not going to look at that one today, but you can look it up later. There's an amazing missional statement from Jesus in John chapter 20 that I'd encourage you to read at a different time. But the Gospel of Luke does not have a missional statement from Jesus. There is no great climax at the end of the Gospel of Luke. Matthew has it, Mark has it, John has it, but there's no great climax at the end of Luke where Jesus says, okay, here's what your mission is. It just doesn't exist. The reason why it's not in the Gospel of Luke is is for this reason. The the Gospel of Luke was written by Luke, handy that way, I know, but the Gospel of Luke was written by Luke, and Luke actually wrote two books 
that were meant to be read as part A and part B. Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts. And when you read the two of them, now in our, in our Bibles it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Okay, But let's take John out of there for a minute. And next time you go and you read the book of Luke, go straight from the end of Luke to the beginning of Acts because they are meant to be stuck together perfectly. So you read part A and part B. And you find that the missional statement from Jesus is actually in the very first chapter of the book of Acts. Here's what it is. Here's Jesus speaking at the end. before. Like he, so, so what's happened to Jesus is Jesus has lived his life he gathered his disciples. He went to the cross and died. He was buried for three days. He rose from the dead. He taught for 40 days to his disciples. 40 more days he taught, and then he ascended into heaven. So we're right at the very end of those 40 days, right as Jesus is about to go back into heaven. Here's what happens in the book of Acts. Jesus says to his disciples, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says this at the end of those 40 days, and immediately after he says these words, he's taken up into heaven again. He ascends back to be with the Father. These are literally the last words of Jesus. And his disciples watch him go up into heaven, and the clouds kind of cover over so they don't see him anymore. And they're just standing there with their mouths open, staring into heaven until two angels say, hey, what are you guys doing? They're just standing there. I don't know how long they stood there for. I'd love to have seen that. I'd love to have seen if they just kind of stood there. And how long? Five minutes? Ten minutes? I mean, what do you do? They have no idea. But the angels come and say, hey, get going. It's time to move on. And then the disciples go into Jerusalem. They find a little upper room somewhere, a space that they can all gather together. There's about 120 of them. They gather together and they begin to pray. And they pray for a week because Jesus says you need to wait, wait until the Holy Spirit comes. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, here's what's going to happen. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is Jesus' missional statement as recorded by Luke, you will be my witnesses everywhere. It's the same mission, just using different words. Our mission is to make disciples, to be Jesus' witnesses everywhere. Now, let's, let's keep looking at Acts, because this is, this is really good for us to watch what now happens as these disciples are waiting to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what Jesus has asked them to do, to be his witnesses so the disciples go and they spend about a week praying in this upper room and then the Holy Spirit comes on them and they leave the upper room into Jerusalem and they begin to preach. And they're preaching in all kinds of different languages. People are hearing the story of Jesus in all of their native tongues. So they're hearing the, the gospel of Jesus spoken and then Peter stands up and he gives this rousing sermon. It's a fantastic message. He gives this rousing sermon and at the end of it, about 3,000 people respond to the sermon that Peter gives. Now, I would love someday to preach a sermon where 3,000 people come to Jesus. How crazy is that? I'm excited when one or two come to Jesus, but 3,000 people? How fantastic would that have been? It's just amazing. But now they have this instant megachurch. They have 3,120 people in their church now. It's crazy. It's crazy. So what are they going to do? Well, this is where we're going to find the blueprint 
for the church. So here in Acts chapter 2, let's see at the end of Acts chapter 2, what do they do? How do they do church? Here's what's written. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So not only do they have this huge influx of believers, but it says that the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. So every day, more people are coming to Jesus. So this church is growing and growing and growing. And this is how they did church. Now, we can say lots of stuff from this passage. It's, it's an amazing passage. These people were being the church. And they were living out the life of Christ. And people were coming to Jesus because of how these people were being the church. While we could talk about lots of things here, I just want to focus in on two parts. Uh, the first part that I want to focus in on is what this church, this new church, centered itself around. And the second part is where they did it, because these are important for us today. The first part is found in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and the second part is, is found a little bit later in Acts chapter 2, verse 46. Okay, so let's start. What did this new church center itself around? So here's what Acts 2.42 says. They devoted themselves, or you could say they centered themselves around, the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So what do we see here? What, are this, what is this new church centering itself around? It's centering itself around the apostles' teaching, which if you didn't know, they, they didn't have the Bible back then. They had the Old Testament, but they didn't have the New Testament. None of the New Testament had been written yet. But the New Testament is written by the apostles. So they centered themselves around the teaching of the apostles, which is what we have here in the New Testament. So when we gather around to, to look into Scripture, to look in the book of Acts like we're doing right now, or we look into the book of Matthew, or we, we look into the book of Romans, we are centering ourselves around the apostles' teaching. So they centered themselves around the apostles' teaching, fellowshipping together, which means they hung out together. Isn't that awesome? They just hung out together. They, they centered themselves around breaking bread together, which is most likely, most likely what we're talking about here is the Lord's Supper. So that's remembering Jesus. So breaking bread together has the idea of eating together. We do communion so strangely nowadays, right? Normally we have like some crackers and some juice and we say this is the Lord's Supper. But back then, the Lord's Supper is they would put out a feast. They'd gather together and they'd say, let's remember Jesus. And they'd break bread together and they'd, they'd drink wine together, and they would just be like, let's celebrate Jesus, let's remember Jesus. So they broke bread together, which is the Lord's Supper, to remember what Jesus did. And lastly, they prayed together. They spent much time in prayer together. That is what the, the early church did. That was the makeup of the early church. And I would suggest that, that this is foundational. These are foundational activities of not just the early church, but of every church. So, so we've already talked about how we, we have to be focused on Jesus. That's number one. We have to be focused on the fixed point of Jesus. We need to be on mission, making disciples. That's kind of the main mission of the, of the church, on mission, making disciples. And now here, this is how we do it. This is how we do it. We center ourselves around the apostles' teaching, 
around fellowshipping together, breaking bread together, and praying together. That's what we center ourselves around. And this is pretty basic. This is simple. These are the things that we center ourselves around. I mean, this is supposed to be true both here in the traditional model church and the micro-disciple-making environment and everything else that calls itself a church. That is what we are supposed to be centered around. This is what the church is supposed to be. Focused on Jesus, on mission-making disciples, centered around the apostles' teaching, fellowshipping together, breaking bread together, and praying together. That's the church. But where do we do this? Where, where do we do this? Well, this is what I want to focus on in this second part. As we look about in Acts chapter 2, verse 46, let's find out where the early church did this. The first part is, is how they did it. The second part is where they did it. So let's look in Acts 2, 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. The place the early church did church was the temple courts and their homes. They met together in the temple courts, and they ate together in their homes. Here's what I think is going on here. Here's my, my theory, okay? And you guys can argue against me if you'd like, but here's my theory. It was likely in the temple courts that the church met the community, rubbing shoulders with other Jewish people who learned about Jesus because this church met the community of Jerusalem in the temple courts, a public sp space where everyone was welcome. There was business going on in the temple. There was fellowship going on in the temple. People were coming and going. People were coming there to get, get their marriages blessed. People were coming there to get their children blessed. There was just life happening in the temple courts. Everything. It was hustle and bustle. It seemed like the whole city of Jerusalem at some point would make their way to the temple courts. So this is where the church interacted with the broader community. This was like the central hub of the community of Israel, of Jerusalem the temple courts. Now, at the same time as the, the church was meeting the broader community in the temple court, at the same time, they ate together in their homes. And it was likely in this setting where you would invite your neighbors. All of a sudden, you have this group of, of believers show up upon this home, and you would invite your neighbors and your friends and your family, hey, come to my home tonight. We're having a gathering. We're talking about Jesus. Come and join me and my family as we meet together and learn about Jesus together. This is a place where you rub shoulders with your, with your neighbors over a pot of stew, where you sit around the kitchen table talking about life, and you watch your kids play together in the front yard. This is where the church met the neighborhood. The church, I believe, met the community in the temple courts, and the church met their neighbors in their homes. I, I think this is integral to why the church grew the way that it did. Because they were meeting both this big picture thing when all 3,120 plus 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 met together in the temple court, but 3,120 plus 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 would not be able to fit into Matthew's house. There's no way. But as a group, they could go to the temple courts and meet together, and all the people would see them worshiping Jesus and learn about Jesus there as a broad community. But the neighborhoods would be able to hear, oh, what's happening next door? Let's go see what's going on. There's like 50 people there. Let's go see what's going on. They met the broader community in the temple courts, and they met their neighborhood in their homes. The church was focused on Jesus, on mission-making disciples, 
centered around the apostles' teaching, fellowshipping together, breaking bread together, and praying together, and they met the community in the temple courts and their neighbors and their homes. Our culture today is arguing over whether we should meet together in a building or whether we should meet together in somebody's home. Seems like a crazy argument, doesn't it? Should we get together in this big building or should with, with like 100 people or should we get together in our home with like 20? What, what should we do here? Should it be the traditional church or should it be the micro church? Which one's better? Which one should it be? I think the answer is, is yes. The traditional church and the micro church. We're going to be able to accomplish different things in different spaces. If you want to have an intimate conversation with somebody about Jesus, you're likely not going to do it in this big old gathering. At the same time, if someone just walked in off the street into your home, you'd go, hi, what are you doing here? What's going on? But this place is this public space that's open and welcoming and the doors are wide open and people can come and they can taste and they can see that the Lord is good. And then your home is the place that your neighbors can feel free to come by and say, hey, do you have a cup of sugar and can you tell me about Jesus? How fantastic would that be? There is space for both of these places to thrive. And in fact, if both of these places begin to thrive, we will see the church grow in ways that we never imagined. And I believe we'll begin to see the same kind of thing that happened in the early church where people are added to their number daily. People are going to be here about Jesus and they're going to fall in love with Jesus and they're going to see how the group worships Jesus and they're going to see how the individual families live the life of Jesus. I think about the traditional church, the traditional model church where people can come into this public space. Think about what happens here. We're able to hire people that we call pastors. I'm one of them. We're able to hire people who can then not just minister to this crew, but minister to the community. Most of our time, so Pastor Amy, Pastor Nate, and myself, most of our time is spent out there. We're connecting with people who don't normally come to church. Pastor Nate's coaching uh, different, uh, what is it, basketball? Coaching basketball. How cool is that in the, in, the high, in, this, in the junior high? Coaching basketball. Pastor Amy's out with our community group, connecting with community members and connecting with some of the people that are leading some of our other, not ministries, but some of the things that go on in our, in our neighborhoods and in our community. I'm out and about trying to chat with everybody who will look at me or maybe turn away and run. It's amazing what happens. I get, just this last week, I was able to be at the seniors' tea and just be hanging out, serving ice cream to seniors and loving on them. This is what we do. We are able to use this facility, not just, not just for ministering to this crew here, but for us to be sent out to do stuff out in our community. And not only that, we host weddings here, we host funerals here, we host birthday parties here, we host um, kids groups and parents groups and all kinds of stuff here where people are interacting with the, the faith community, learning about who Jesus is in places that, that would not be appropriate in your home. But then look at your home. There's sometimes, no, there's sometimes people that would never walk into a church building, but they'll come to your home. There'll be a space that you can invite your neighbor over or just sit on your front porch and watch your kids play with your neighbor's kids and just live life together and just have natural, normal conversations where they're more intimate, where they're more connected with the people that live around you. How beautiful if both of these things begin to happen well. 
We're in our small groups, our community groups, where we'd be able to invite people into that space to learn about Jesus at a more intimate level. Where we're able to release the people that are in the broader community to connect with people in our area. How beautiful would that be if both began to work well together? It doesn't have to be this big pendulum swing. It can be this space down the middle where the church, whether it's meeting in a big building or meeting in your home, is focused on Jesus, on mission-making disciples, centered around the apostles' teaching, fellowshipping together, breaking bread together, and praying together, meeting people in the temple courts, meeting the community in the temple courts, and meeting our neighbors in our homes. When we can do that well together, I believe we'll see the church begin to flourish. Now, one last part in this. <clears throat> the whole church thing, whether it's micro or, 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 or traditional or whatever it looks like, the whole church thing hinges on every single one of you and me, us, playing our parts. One of the reasons that the traditional model church is having difficulty today is because we have not trained each other well in being disciples who make disciples. We've kind of said, well, it's the pastor's job to do that. And we kind of just, if our friend asks us about Jesus, we go, well, let's take you to the pastor. If our friend needs prayer for healing, we're like, well, let's take you to the pastor. If our friend needs a cup of sugar, we're like, well, let's take you to the pastor. I loved what Amy said this, this morning already, that she, and I'm hearing these as well, we're hearing stories about you all meeting the needs of your neighbors. We're hearing about you guys praying for each other. We're hearing about you guys visiting the sick. We're hearing about you guys helping to clean off the the tops of people's cupboards. How fantastic is it that you guys are doing this? How fantastic. And we're hearing about you guys telling your friends about Jesus. It's happening. It's beginning to happen. This is what the church is supposed to be. All of us together being disciples who make disciples. The church was never meant to be a place where you just showed up came out to church once a week and you sat and you sang some songs and listened to a message and went home and had a nap and, and you're good, right? It was never meant to be like that. It was meant to be this place where we gathered together, we worshiped together, and we went out on mission, encouraging one another and running out of here going, I'm going to tell my neighbors about Jesus. And not like you're going to stand on the street corner of your road and be like, hey, you guys need to repent or die. Like, we're not doing that, right? But the, the, the home neighborhood connecting point for you to be able to tell your friends about Jesus is normal life. Just live normal life. Just live the life of Jesus next door to people who need to know about Jesus. Share with them when you get an opportunity. Love them, care about them, be good neighbors. How amazing would it be if no matter where we were, whether we were in the traditional church or the micro church, we began to do this well. Focused on Jesus, each of us coming together in this kind of a setting to, to encourage one another and stir each other up, equipping each other, releasing each other and fixing our eyes once again on Jesus. Each of us being sent out from here, being on mission making disciples, each of us being centered around the apostles' teaching and fellowshipping together and breaking bread together and praying together, and each of us going and, and meeting the community in this space and meeting our neighbors in our homes. See, all of this hinges on, on you. I can't do good enough 
to be the only person that makes this happen because lots of times I don't do that well. But if all of us kind of do this not so well but sort of try really hard at it, how amazing would that be? Not in a way that's burdensome because Jesus' call to us is supposed to be light and easy, but it's also the cross-bearing way of Jesus. So not in a way that's burdensome, but in a way that is responsive to the call Jesus is calling us to. So how are you doing in this? If you happen to be here today and you don't know Jesus yet, I invite you to get to know him more. And this is going to be a test maybe for those of us that are here that do know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus today, when we get done with the service, grab the person next to you and say, tell me more about Jesus. Tell me more about Jesus. Maybe you're ready to give your life to Jesus today. Grab the person next to you and say, I want to know Jesus. Help me ask Jesus into my life. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus already, what practical steps is Jesus asking you to make this week in response to what you've learned today? Our worship team's going to come on up. They're going to lead us in a closing song. And I want you just to take a moment, even as you're, we're entering into worship, I want you to take a moment to just ask Jesus, what do you want me to do this week in response to what I've learned from you today? We sang the song earlier today called The Blessing, which is taken from a passage in the Old Testament. You know, I bless you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Whenever I, I sing that song or pray that prayer, I'm, I'm thinking about my neighborhood. I'm thinking about all of you. I'm thinking about the, the church and, and the neighborhood around this church and our community. And I wonder if we, as we think about this, our broader community and our intimate neighborhood, if we could be thinking about those two things, our broader community and our intimate neighborhood. And I wonder if you would be willing, again, we did this once before, turn towards your home. So wherever your home is, in, like, so my home is that way. Okay, so wherever your home is from this church, turn towards it. I'm going to pray this blessing, and we're going to pray this blessing over all the spaces. And I want you to put your hand out if you'd be willing to. And what's going to happen is we're going to, I'm praying for my neighborhood, but all the little neighborhoods in between that and here. So some of you live a little farther away, so you're praying for a lot of space, okay? But let's pray over all these areas. So I'm, I'm going to, I'll pray it out, but uh, with, your own, with your heart, pray along with me. So I, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord be, turn his... Make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So Jesus, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for what you've been teaching us and leading us into. And Lord, I ask that as you've been speaking to each of us, that we would lean into what you're calling us to. And so now, church, in Jesus' name, I, you are called to be on mission with him. So be equipped, be empowered, and be released to go out from here into the world that God has called you into, to, to be on mission with him, making disciples who make disciples. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. Blessings on you. So if you need prayer today, grab the person next to you and say, hey, would you pray for me? I know some of you like to come and have one of us pastors pray for you or something like that, and we're going to be available to you, but I would encourage you, grab the person next to you and say, hey, pray for me today. I need prayer, all right? So blessings on you. You're dismissed.
Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you'd like more information about us or find out ways to contact us, visit our website at www.beaverlodgealliancechurch.com. We pray today that you would experience the love, presence, and power of Jesus Christ and then make him known.